Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. If we get people looking to us like we're awesome, we're, man, you are so, you are the guy or the gal or the whoever, it's, they're getting ripped off, God's not getting the glory he deserves, and now you're misusing you. Whatever God's, whatever God's done that caused people to look to you, he's done it. And now you're taking it upon yourself as you did it. It's robbing God because it belongs to God. It's not just, you know, becoming prideful. It's actually taking from God that which belongs to him. The glory belongs to the Lord. Amen. All glory belongs to God. When you take all the praise for an accomplishment or work that God has done through you, you are robbing God of an opportunity to be recognized for his goodness. Maybe someone who witnessed what you did was right on the brink of accepting Christ as Lord. But because they couldn't see him through the situation, they carried on with life as usual. In today's message, Pastor Bill wants you to understand there is always room to give God praise. So do it. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 8 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. At some point, your kids are going to be away from you. And it's going to be imperative that they believe. You won't be there to give all the good counsel and say they're going to have to have their own faith. And so you want to start as soon as possible helping them cultivate that. And faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Yes. But faith is also cultivated by um, as we step out in it and experience God through it. Faith is a, it's a living part of who we are. And some of us have believed God, trusted God and stepped out on God's word enough to where it's like, I just believe God's going to come through because I got history. When do your kids start developing history with the Lord? They got to start somewhere. And so your job, parents, to push them out there, you know, um, I'm not saying push them out to fail, but like, man, give them little steps of faith, give them little things to do, you know, and, and just see what God might do as they as they step out, you know. And so everybody, every parent here can pray about how that looks for your kid. But I read that and it was like, man, his son wouldn't do it, you know. And so moving on in verse, he said, so he's, he, in verse 20. He said, rise and kill them, but the youth would not draw a sword, for he was afraid because he was still a youth. Verse 21, so Zeba and Zalmunna said, rise yourself and kill us, for as a man is, so is his strength. So Gibeon arose and killed Zeba and Zalmunna, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on their camel's necks. So Gibeon rose up and he did it himself, and maybe left that example for his sons and he rose up and did it. I thought it was interesting. I've always, I've heard that phrase for years, you know, and I don't know if you guys have heard it, but this is the context of it. For as a man, for, for as a man is, so is his strength. This is the enemies of God saying you do it right. Cause it was a, it would be a disgrace for them to be killed by a kid. Uh, it would be a more disgraceful death to be killed by a kid than to be killed by Gideon which I'm sure is why Gideon said, son, go over there and whack him, you know, um, but he, he wouldn't do it, you know, so he went ahead and took care of it. Now, verse 22 says, then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your son and your grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. Now, the first thing I told you, I believe the enemy did in this chapter was to bring discouragement, try to stop him from doing what God wanted. I believe what the enemy is trying here through the people is to exalt him beyond what he should be exalted. They say, you know what? Be our king. I want you to be our I want you to be our king. You're going to be the king family. Your sons and your grandsons, they'll be your family, will be the, the kings for us because you delivered us because you did this. Now, 
to your flesh, that's going to sound great. Yeah, you know, I did that. You know what I'm saying? Now, they, now I finally get some respect around here, you know. Uh, after Look, now, I want you to even notice this. After one group just told you they wouldn't even feed you because they don't believe in you, now that you've had all the victory, you come home and the Israelites, your people are saying, hey, man, we believe in you. Matter of fact, we want you to be our king. You be our leader. You're our God. I want you to be our king. And not just you, your sons and your grandsons after you, your family, Gideon, y'all going to be the king's family. Would you be our king? And Gideon could have said, you know what? I make a great king. I think I, as a matter of fact, you know, he could have. And I, I believe that this was a temptation for him to fall into pride, fall into, you know, exalting himself, thinking more highly of himself than he ought to think. And I would just encourage any of us here that God is doing a great thing through that you that none of us would lose the not not just the the, the, the acknowledgement of the awareness, there'd be an awareness in you that's a genuine awareness that it's not you, it's God. That as soon as you believe, you start to eat your own press, as soon as you start thinking it's you, there, there's going to be something taken away because God won't share his glory with anybody. He's not supposed to because it's always going to be bad for people to look to us. Our goal is God exalts a man or a woman. The goal is to help people to look to who? To Jesus. That's the, that's the highest goal. That's the greatest thing we can do is point somebody right past us to the Lord. That's, that's, that's us being used in our, our maximum capacity, just pointing people to Jesus. And if we get people looking to us like we're awesome, we're, man, you are so, you are the guy or the gal or the whoever, it's, they're getting ripped off. God's not getting the glory he deserves. And now you're misusing. Whatever God's, whatever God's done that caused people to look to you, he's done it. And now you're taking it upon yourself as you did. it. It's robbing God because it belongs to God. It's not just, you know, becoming prideful. It's actually taking from God that which belongs to him. The glory belongs to the Lord. Amen. And so they were attributing to Gideon glory that belonged to the Lord. And Gideon does the right thing. It says in verse 23, but but Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you. Nor shall my son rule over you. He said this, the Lord shall rule over you. Amen. Gideon, that was the right word. He said, no, 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 not me. I'm not ruling over you. My son's not ruling over you. The Lord shall rule over you. Don't look to me. Look to the Lord. That was the right response. That's how we want to respond. Should someone look to you? Should someone exalt you beyond what's, what's appropriate or correct? You want to, you know what? Don't look to me. We're going to look, we're going to, look to the Lord. And you want to point people to God. And Gideon says, I'm, I'm not, I didn't fall for that one. Now, in a moment, you know, Gideon, I gave the successes. We are going to see that that in this last portion, there's some things about Gideon's life that we shouldn't follow, that we shouldn't copy. And while he had these great moments and some great victories, and in these moments, he did the right thing. We're getting ready to look at some areas where the enemy didn't discourage him, make him quit. He kept going. Then he didn't get him with pride and make him say, I'm the man. You know, he didn't bite that bait, but he bites another kind of bait. And so look at verse 24. Then Gibeon said to them, I would like to make a request of you that each one of you would give me the earrings from his plunder. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And so he says, hey, guys, I, I want to ask everybody for something now. Nobody would tell him no after what he just he's the guy. Right. Nobody's. Again, careful how you use your authorities. I, 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 guys, I want to ask everybody to do me a favor. Do me a favor. Everybody bring me the, everybody took plunder. Bring me all the earrings you got from the plunder. What's it going to be for? 
Are we doing something for the Lord? What are we doing with these ear? They're going to bring them to him. And they said, yeah, you know, they're going to gladly. It says, so they answered, we will gladly give them. And they spread out a garment and each man threw onto it his earrings from the plunder. Now the weight of the gold earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold. That's over over 50 pounds of gold in earrings. This is beside the crescent ornaments, pendants and purple robes, which were on the kings of Midian and besides the chains that were around their camel's necks. They put gold chains on a camel's neck. So they camels walk around looking like some present day rappers, you know, with, with big gold chains and crescent medallions around on their camels, you know. So we got guys think they balling right now. They camels was out there lit, you know, <laughs> blinged out. So here's the deal. He says, I want you to bring me all your gold and all this earrings. Who else? Anybody remember somebody else did this? Aaron. It didn't go good, did it? What did he want it for? Aaron said, Moses up there taking too long. We, we need to make us a God we can see. Here's a problem with the people of God throughout history, and it, it is still today. We've got to worship God by faith. When we gather together and we offer our praises and worship to the Lord, we do it in faith. I don't see God. Uh, we're not looking at him. We don't have a visible you know, God we can touch or hold. Uh, we, we worship the Lord by faith. And so many religions, most religions have relics or there's something Something you can look at that you can touch that that is from the religion. So, you know, Buddhists have their Buddha's idols. And so you walk into a place where they got a little guy, the fat guy with the green and he's holding the things out. And they burn incense and put stuff on him. That's their thing that they can see because they got to see what they can worship. The God of Israel, the God of the New Testament, the God of the new covenant that we live by. Is, I want you to worship me by faith. You're not going to see. You're going you're gonna to worship me by faith. It's not what you see. It's what you've heard. It's what I've told you. It's what you know. And there's something about that in our human nature. It's like, I want a, I want, I want a tangible representation of God. And, and so what ends up happening is because, because we won't do it the way God wants it, just by faith. There become many faulty things. And so you have in some circles um, false movements of you know, with this, this in order to, we, we're going to really experience God and you have people that stir up emotions and feelings and all these things. It's not a move of God. It's a it's a hundred percent a move of man. And it, it, it requires a and look, check this out. If it were a move of God, it wouldn't require anybody to stir it up. Right. There are moves. If you watch some of the the, the any psychology major could watch some of the things that take place in in some church settings and just say right now. This guy is orchestrating it. He's got the musicians to tell them that people are conditioned that when this kind of music plays to behave like that, when it plays like this, to come down like that, when they play it at this case, everybody jump up. We're going to have a party for about 10 minutes in the midst of service because I don't really have a message prepared. And then when it plays like this, it's going to be all slow and melodic and it's time to cry. And it's, it's all somebody orchestrating it. If it were a move of God, when you read the Bible, and there's a move of God. There's no man orchestrating it. It's God just moved. And you don't need a man. You don't need a band. You don't need a group. You don't need a musician. You don't need a, a person that knows how to make it happen just right. You don't need any of that. All you need is people that believe in God. Move for God. God will move among his people. That's all it takes. It's so, every time you see God move, when, when God moved in power and acts, what were the people doing? 120 of them. What were they doing? Praying. 120 people that praying. Nothing's, they weren't twirling. They weren't singing, shouting, dancing, skirting up and down the floors. 120 people praying and a, a rushing mighty wind of the Holy Spirit blew through that place. And God said, now, now I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to move among them. And he moved supernaturally and it was evident that it was him. And Peter got up and preached that message after God got everybody's attention as he moved. And the gospel went out. 3,000 people get saved. Move God. They didn't have no musicians. They didn't have no band. They had God. Sometimes we're, we, we, we take cheap, cheap counterfeits of the real. And we should be cautious about that. In, in other religions, and I will say this with like regard to Catholicism. I grew up in Catholic school. Um, there's there's things everywhere that you have to pay homage to. You walk by, you got to put the cross right here in front of that. You got this thing right here. You got to dip and do the thing like that. And there are all these things. And you you know you walk in, you bow right here, and there's cows in front of these pictures of the people and this that, and the other. And if you were to just observe the people, they're actually worshiping images that have been created by an artist somewhere. Is that what God wants? No, no. He wants to be worshipped. There can't be a relic. There can't be an image. There can't be a thing. There can't be a place that we pay, that we love that much. Even with regard to like a, a church building, um, I've been in places where people this this building is this is the house of God. Wrong. Who's the house of God? You are the house of God. I am the house. We're the church, and we're the church if we're at the park. We're the church if we're out on the lawn. We're the church if we're in a, a gymnasium. We're the church no matter where we go. We can't worship a place. We can't worship this, this building. This, this, this is nothing. God don't care about this place. He cares about the people that come into this place. The place has a purpose, but it's just a place. Amen. But those are the kind of things that we do. We start to worship the place. God, careful. You're, you're in the house of God. Uh, you know, you step behind the pulpit. Not unless you're called. <laughs> I, I, I just, those are silly things, right? This is... It's just not. It's just not. Not. It's because God didn't say it. It's not in the book. Right. We worship the invisible God. We worship the invisible God. We can't see him, but we know him. We learn about him in his word. We can speak to him. We're going through prayer on Sunday. We can call out to him whenever we want. And he hears and he responds and he answers and he fills us with his spirit, unifies his body together. And if we're not, if if we're careful to, 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 to keep that in place, we won't. We won't need a thing. I don't need a thing. I got God. So something Gideon does here, he stumbles himself and all the people. He said, give me them earrings. He's getting ready to make a thing. And while he didn't bite the bait to be called as king, there was something about the priesthood that he was enamored with. And the priest would wear an ephod. And it was something that they would use to discern the will of God. When people would, people would, in that era, they would go to the priest to seek the will of God. And the priest had the ephod. And he was not a priest. But there was something about the ephod that he thought, I want to make a golden ephod. Yeah, I'm going to put that up. That's going to be awesome. And that's what he's going to do. He has all the people bring him all the gold. They gladly bring it to him because this is Gideon. Verse 27, it says the gold. Then Gideon made it into an ephod and he set it up in the city, Orpha. And all Israel played the harlot with it there. It became a snare to Gideon and to his family, to his house. So when it says they played the harlot, a harlot is a prostitute, someone that's, you know, that sells herself out for for so they, they played the harlot with this thing. They sold God out for this thing. They had a relationship with the invisible God, the living God. And they said, we, we want they started worshiping this thing that he made. He took all the gold he made. I'm, I'm sure with 50 pounds of gold or more, the thing probably looked awesome. I mean, I'm sure you got it put together and you, you rose it up and people kind of came and they probably loved it and worshipped it and treated it real nice. And, you know, you couldn't touch it. The kids couldn't get next to it. And, and it says that it became a snare to him and his household because 
How might God feel about us worshiping some thing when it's him? It's, it's, it's like a slap in the face. God said, look, I, I delivered you guys. You're going to worship an ephod that y'all made? The craftsman was probably with his little signature at the bottom. You made that ephod? Wow. Make something for my house, too. You know, and who knows? But God didn't like it. And I would just challenge this, particularly those of us that maybe, so maybe some of us came out of other religions where we're used to having some, some visible representation. Get used to worshiping a God that you just can't see him. I don't do pictures of Jesus because there's no accurate depiction of him anyway. Um, so I don't do it. You know, I don't have a problem with certain things. You know, a cross, a cross to me is a, is a symbol of the biggest deal that God ever did. But we won't worship a cross. You know, we won't we won't we won't have crosses where it's, it's we won't walk by and bow down to the cross. The cross is, it reminds us of what he did. But we worship the God. And I, I never do a cross with Jesus on it because is he on it anymore? He ain't on the cross. He wrote. He's risen. So the cross reminds us of what he did, but he is not on it. He is risen. Amen. Be careful that you don't worship a thing, that you don't have some relic in your family, something in the house that everybody's got to pay homage and respect. Don't touch that. You know, whatever. Don't have it. Because we can we can have people respecting things and they don't even honor God. And that's what I saw a lot of growing up. I went to a school where it's Catholic school and you had to honor these things. We didn't honor nothing else. But, but but this day, when you came into this area, this place, you had to had to behave a certain way around these things. They didn't, it didn't get through to my life. It didn't transform my life. You know what changed my life? When I got saved. When the Holy Spirit came and lived inside me. And there was no thing that I was looking at. God was on the inside cleaning me up. I had a real encounter with the living God. And I didn't see him, but I know him. And that's what we really want to be encouraging each other in. A genuine relationship with the living God. Amen. Let things be things. We have something much greater than a thing. We have Jesus. Amen. Amen. Moving on, it says, then verse 28, thus Midian was subdued before the children of Israel so that they lifted their heads no more. And the country was quiet for 40 years in the days of Gideon. So it's concluding they had they have victory. They beat the Gideon. They beat the they beat the Midianites. They had victory over their enemy. They had peace, rest, quiet for 40 years. And what did we say when we first started the book of, of Judges? As we looked at the cycle, what was the most what's the most dangerous time? The little cycle that they go through It's the time of peace. Somehow in that time of peace and rest, they get they disconnect from the Lord, you know, um, at the height of the, the best part of every cycle is when they're broken and they cry out for God to help. And it seems like it lasts so long. And then once the leader dies and they've had rest, um, that they get restless. And instead of really plugging in and pressing into what God has next, they they falter. And so after 40 years of rest, it says verse 29, and we're, we're wrapping it up now that the Vince Rubel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. Gideon had 70 sons who were his own offspring. How do you get 70 sons? That's, that wife must have really been tired. Was she? No. He, he, this, is, this is one of his mess ups. So it says he had many wives. And so this is one of the, one of the again, the, the end of things is not really admirable or a good example. We can take from the earlier examples from Gideon. And the Bible is honest about his heroes. The Bible tells us David beat Goliath, but he sinned with Bathsheba when he killed her husband. They tell us that too. Gideon believed God. Gideon went out to battle. Gideon with 300 beat the 135,000. Gideon whooped the enemies. Gideon, yes, yes, yes. But now 
He makes 70 sons with a whole bunch of wives. Not a good example. Verse 31. And his concubine who was in Shechem bore him a son who whose name he called Abimelech. And now Gideon, the son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father in Orpha of the Abizrites. So it was as soon as Gideon was dead that the children of Israel again played the harlot with the Baals and made Baal beareth their God. Baal beareth means Baal of the covenant. And the idea was they they made instead of having a covenant with the God of Israel, that's who their covenant God is supposed to be. They made Baal their covenant God. Why? Why did God's kids keep doing this? Why, when they've seen God work, why, when they've seen God move, maybe after 40 years and nothing's happened anymore and everybody else, they're, they're immersed with these enemies. Remember, for you guys that are new, we went through Joshua. And as we went through the book of Joshua, we saw toward the end of the book. And you can go back and listen. We did a study called Unfinished Business. When God kept his word and gave them the land, but the Israelites would go into their portion of the land and they wouldn't put the enemies out. They were supposed to kill them and wipe them out. Sometimes they would say, I'm going to keep you guys and let you be slaves. And we'll let you guys live because we don't really want to fight over there. And they, they got the land, but they didn't put the enemies out. And we said then that the way it was going to haunt them, not them, but their kids were going to grow up. And they're going to have these pagans all around them. And now God's kids are in God's land, but they got people around them worshiping other gods. And it tempts them. It lures them away. And so here, these guys are here. God's done great things for them. But they're like, we want to we wanna bow. We're going to worship. Now the Gideon's gone. It says as soon as he died, it was almost like, is he, is he, boom, he's dead. This, you know, like, like as soon as he died, like they were just waiting to get back to what they wanted to really do in the first place. As soon as he died, they went right back to worshiping idols. And, you know, the, the cycle's going to begin all over again. It says, verse 34, then the, thus the children of Israel did not remember the Lord their God who had delivered them from the hands of of all their enemies on every side, nor did they show kindness to the house of Zerubbabel, Gideon, in accordance with the good he had done for Israel. So it said they didn't remember the Lord. I'm gonna come back to that. That's our last, that's our closing point. But they dogged out Gideon's family. Once Gideon was gone, they didn't show respect for his kids or his family either. They dogged him out. But it says that they didn't remember the Lord. We've seen that before, where there come a generation that didn't know God or his power or his miracles or his things he had done. They didn't remember the Lord. It's a choice. And there isn't, there isn't really a right motive or reason for service or obedience other than the cross of Jesus Christ and what he did. That's always going to be the right. I never can serve God because I love people. I want to bless people because y'all might dog me out. Why well, don't love y'all no more? Now I stop. That's a weak motive. Motive has to be because he died for me. And whatever I do is in response to the cross is because of what he did for me. And if I get salty on some stuff or I get bothered or bitter, it's good for me to take some time and have communion and remember this broken body. He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember what I did for you, Bill. And I got to remember it just like you got to remember it. And I've had times I'll do communion at home with a cracker and whatever juice we have in the house. And I've, I've sat there with the Lord and just been broken. You did this for me. I know what I am. And I know what I was when the Lord met me and found me. He did this for me. And because he did this for me, whatever he wants from my life, he can have it. He can have my obedience. He can have my devotion. He can have my time. He can have my talents, my gift, my stuff. Because he died for me. Nobody else died for me. Nobody else could have died for me and it wouldn't have mattered. He died for me. He purchased eternity for me. 
And so they didn't remember the Lord and it messed them up. That's how they fell into idolatry. You make sure you remember the Lord. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Judges. This was an interesting season for the people of Israel, being led by various judges as they delivered the people from a variety of enemies. You see, real faith lived out through these judges. There was much war and opposition going on, but God was faithful in delivering his people. Do you notice God's deliverance in your everyday life? He's aware of all that's going on, and He cares about bringing you out of those times of oppression. There's much more to learn from the book of Judges, and we hope you come back to hear what God speaks to you personally. If you missed any messages from this series, we encourage you to visit calvaryinglewood.org to hear more in Judges. There's also a free mobile app where you can access all of our messages too. Just go to calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, you'll notice links to Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Feel free to explore our website and find other valuable information. We offer a daily Bible reading plan that you can look into as well. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you have any other questions, Go ahead and call us at 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. Well, that's about all we have for today. We're so glad you took the time to listen to Pastor Bill today in the book of Judges. We'll catch you again as we look into a transforming word. Transforming Word.